Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 32 of the Movement is Medicine podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Carr, and today my special guest is my good friend, Jenny Gasella of Magnitude Strength and Performance down in Norwell. And um, Jenny is someone who I've known for a while through Certified Functional Strength Coach. And, you know, I've had the pleasure of seeing her go from training people at your own home gym operation for a little while to um, what year did you open up? Was it 2020 that you guys opened 20, up? 2021. Okay. You got on the other side of that COVID period. That's, that's really good for you. Just um, before Omicron. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's your timestamp. Um, and so, you know, I, it's been great to see how great they've done, how successful they've been, how they've been growing and them going through that period. And um, Jenny actually reached out to me about getting on here. And I think that you know, what I was literally just talking to her about just a minute before this was, I think that her and Allie and just like their story down there um, provides a lot of good insights into making the transition into gym ownership, um, what that is like, because I think that's a lot of the questions that I get um, in my position in, in kind of what you go through personally and in professionally kind of in that growth. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. So thank you for, uh, you know, spending a Thursday night with me on here. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited as well. Um, so, you know, you, you've had an interesting journey. I mean, you worked outside of fitness for a while and then kind of transitioned to, you know, you know, working on your own and, and training people out of your house and then kind of making that journey into being, a gym owner. And, and I know you had an athletic background and track and field that kind of set a foundation for you in, you know, strength and conditioning and appreciating strength and conditioning. And so was that something that while you were kind of working outside of fitness that you always knew you were going to move towards, or did you kind of at some point in your career think like, Hey, I need to make a change. Yeah, definitely. The latter, I did not have any idea that I would be going into anything like this. Um, you know, growing up, I definitely was always more academic and less mm -hmm. athletic. Um, I had amazing track coaches through high school that really, really helped me improve athletically. And I loved it so much. I ended up running in college. It was D3. And again, I was still more academic focused. And so I just kind of thought, okay, when you graduate, you know, all mediocre athletes, like I was just stop doing athletic stuff and they go into, you know, go sit at a desk. And so that was really the only place that my head was at like, okay, I need to find my cubicle job and here I will go for the rest of my life. And then, you know, I kept doing things like I was still training myself on the side. I was still writing programs for my friends. I didn't really know why they're like, Jenny, why is this always three sets of eight then three sets of 10? I'm like, I don't know. It's just how we do it. You know? So I was, I was still doing stuff, um, fitness wise on the, on the side, but never, ever considered it as a career. And then probably when I hit 26 years old, I got that like sinking feeling where I'm like doing the math and I'm like, okay, 39 years <laughs> until <laughs> I'm 65. And I'm like, okay, can I hang on uh, for this amount of time? And I think the answer uh, quickly became, no, you cannot hang on. You got to make a change. Yeah. Well, when you, when you hear her say that, you know, she's, she was an academic kid, she's a NESCAT kid, right? Like yeah. you, you went to Bates. So, I mean, we have a smarty here, um, but you know, it's funny you say 20, 27 years, I feel like that's a period in a lot of young people's lives, at least in my experience, talking to interns, talking to people who are making the transition of fitness like that post-college mid to mid 20s to late 20s, where people are like either 
hey, this is what I want to do for a living. And they're like, they get that like sinking feeling where there's like this, I need to make a change, right? And you were, you know, brave enough and, and confident enough to say, I'm going to do this, right? And we have a lot of coaches who work for us who, who don't necessarily have a background in fitness, didn't go to school for exercise science or kinesiology or, or, or the things that I think a lot of people think they need to do to this for a career. Like I use Steve Bigelow as an example. He mm -hmm. was a business major at UMass. He went to the Eisenberg School at UMass and he was working uh, at State Street and one day just was sick of that, right? And that to some people think like, wow, you were working at State Street, like right out of college, you had a great job and he wasn't happy. <laughs> and he came in and said, uh, can I do an internship? <laughs> and left his job at State Street originally was an intern in our front office. He One day he did the marketing internship under Kerry. And then he said, can I coach instead? And the rest is history, right? And so I always love when I hear stories like this, because truthfully, I think that success in the career of coaching is about, you know, passion and excitement and something that you're excited to go do every day. And that's a far cry from probably what you were doing before. So when, when you kind of made that jump, when you said, Hey, I'm going to start coaching, obviously was probably a scary moment, but kind of, how did you go about saying, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. So um, I did, I started by doing both. So I was still in PR full time and I actually got a job coaching at Orange Theory Fitness. It's such a fun job. I had a great time doing it. Um, it's super fun to be on the mic like I am right now, um, talking to a group of people and coaching. Obviously it's a lot of people. It's a, you know, a, a large group format. So we had up to 39 people in a session, but it was kind of like trial by fire. And then I eventually decided this is what I'm going to do full time. That was the scariest decision. It was yeah. easy to do both. Like it was easy yeah. to keep, you know, one foot in the door, still doing my career while just slowly like picking up hours at Orange Theory. But the day I decided like, okay, this is going to be a thing. That was definitely the scariest day. So I was continuing to coach at Orange Theory, but then was starting to do personal training um, on my own. So I was renting space from a physical therapist. And um from there, I started transitioning more personal training, less Orange Theory. I just really love the strength side of things. That's when I got involved with all the CFSC. And mm -hmm. the rest is history. Well, then it was COVID. <laughs> then it was magnitude. <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> well, well um, you know, it's funny because like when I always talk to coaches that we have or people who come into shadow or interns who are kind of doing something else, they're working in another field. I often tell them like, start just doing part-time coaching. Like we've had people for us that, you know, are work full-time in another type of field and then start picking up hours for us. And I'll say, just start doing that, get your feet in. And then when you're ready to kind of make the jump over, that's the smart way to do it. And I know not everyone ha necessarily has that luxury, but it allows you kind of to make it, it's easier to take that step than say, I'm going to quit and just start. Like you start to figure out, do I love this? You develop your skills in a place like Orange Theory is a really good way to do that because you had you were able to get a lot of coaching volume, group coaching volume, probably in a short period of time. And so, like, we have people who come in and do the internship and have another job that they've they've been working at, and over that three months get a get a big chunk of the you know that idea of the ten thousand hours. And for you, you in Orange Theory, like you said, you have the headset on, right? Like you're learning how to you know, 
develop your personality in coaching, how to communicate, how to manage a group, all really priceless skills. And I think sometimes when we have coaches who come into us, they think like, hey, I want to start just working here. And I'm like, listen, you should probably start in a commercial gym or start somewhere where you're just going to get a ton of reps early on. Um, like I was at a Gold's gym and then I was at the UMass Wellness Center for the entire time I was there. And I was kind of bouncing in between that and MBSC while I was in college. And by the time I got out, you know, four years later, I, I had a lot of reps under my belt and I was kind of ready to do the job that I'm doing now. But I, I think sometimes people, at least in the strength conditioning field, kind of turn their nose up at those types of experiences, but they kind of make you who you are, right? You, you develop this really good skill set in that environment before you are ready to kind of go out on your own, so to speak. Yeah, that's so true. I, it's like finding out what isn't right for you in the end is all the things that build you up to who you are today, right? It's like, okay, in the end, I left PR, but I bring so much of what I did in PR with mm -hmm. me right now. And like, in the yep. end, I stopped coaching at Orange Theory, but I bring so much of my experience from that with me to the next place. So even though something isn't for you in the end, it does not mean that it's not worthwhile. Like that's what shapes you. That's awesome. And so, you know, you're coaching people at home, you're doing orange theory, and then you and Allie kind of step out to start magnitude. And, and I think a lot of people, the idea of, I mean, you don't even know, like when you're opening a business, you're like, how do I even start a business? <laughs> uh, as far as, the legal paperwork goes or the most intimidating thing, like signing a lease to go and do that. And, and, and it, from, I think a lot of people's perspective who probably watch from the outside think like, wow, you guys stepped right in and you're busy and you're get, getting going, but they don't see, you know, the things that you're doing on a daily basis and the pains that you probably deal with on a daily basis starting. So for you, what made you kind of decide like, okay, we're going to go and, and open a brick and mortar and what kind of gave you the confidence to, to go out and make that, that leap. I have no idea. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> a little bit of craziness. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I think, I think it felt like by the time we decided to make magnitude a thing, it really felt like we had no other choice. So Allie and I were both training out of our houses and really because of COVID, because so many people wanted to go to a smaller location or like not, you know, not go to a big gym anymore for the time being our personal training just exploded. So we were, I was sitting and I moved all, so I had a gym inside my garage, like the room above my garage. When COVID hit, I moved everything downstairs to the actual garage bays themselves. I just had the doors open. We were training essentially outside, like under the cover of the garage bays. I was in the garage from, you know, five in the morning until eight o'clock at night through the entire winter of yeah. even 2021. Like we, you know, we were still, we were still outside, like just like, yeah, November, December of 2020 into January, February, it was, I was like ill. It was not good. <laughs> I would, I would not recommend training outdoors for 12 hours a day. Um, Allie was doing the same thing and we were just, you know, how, how can we keep going at this rate? Mm -hmm. And we're not going to say no to people. We can't say no. Like you can't, you know, you can't leave people out. We started just doing groups. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to take, you know, these four hours and combine them into one hour. She was doing the same thing at her house. And it just became really obvious to us. Like, okay, we clearly have an idea that's catching on around town. I think we can make this into something. So her and I would always walk our dogs together and we started sort of ruminating about our own space. Um, and then the first thing we did was starting looking for a location. So we found a real estate agent and just started scouting locations, which went a lot differently than we thought because you've seen our location. Yeah. In and it's a, 
it's a retail space. Yeah, yeah. And you guys were able to go in and, and make it make it your own, which is is unbelievable. And what what I think you guys both hit on is that you guys kind of already were creating an impact in your immediate community to open a business, right? And so I think sometimes th people think about opening a gym, like how do you make it successful to start? The hard thing about gyms is they're generally community-based businesses that, you know, the people know you, you're from the area, obviously, um, and they they might already be working with you. And I think it's very hard to kind of go into a place where you don't have that. And so you were able to kind of like, soft launch right you were you know training people in your garage i i think about you know mike talking about kind of how mbsc started and that you know he was doing camps for high school and college kids in the summers at bu and they were you know training people uh kind of doing these summer camps ideas till eventually they were like okay now i can just step into taking on the burden of a lease and staff and things like that and and that's really the kind of ideal way to go about that transition where you already have the people and you're like, hey, I can't do this in my garage anymore. Um, and so how long, like when you found that space, did you look at a number of locations before you kind of found this place and thought, okay, we can make this place work? Not many good ones. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we were looking at industrial space, like what you guys have. We really wanted you know, the garage doors open, especially since we were still in COVID times. We, all we were thinking was, how can we make this like transitional indoor yeah. outdoor space almost just because we had that mindset so we were really looking for like a loading dock type of thing. Those all came with about three parking spaces. Yeah. So it was becoming pretty obvious that we weren't going to get, at least at that time, um, everything that we wanted from the space um, along with parking. So the agent said, you know, there we found this retail space. It used to be an easy mart. You can still see on like a foggy, like when the windows fog up, you can still see that it says Kino on our door, which uh, <laughs> we could we could still bring it back someday. Could, that, that might be a nice little <laughs> side thing you could start up. I, res right? I reserve the right to still add some Kino TVs <laughs> at magnitude someday. Um, so yeah, so long story short, we saw some locations, but no viable locations until the one we're in now. Wow. And so what was it like when I walked in there and I saw it when it was finished, right? I saw like the first iteration of, of what you guys had and it looked like, oh, this place is made for a gym, right? But when you walked in, I mean, what for your vision when you saw that, like how much work was involved in, in changing that location to kind of fit your space needs? Like, was there a lot of kind of overhaul that had to be done other than the equipment and like the flooring and things like that. Um, because I think sometimes people want to be able to walk into like an industrial space and they think if that's not what it looks like, then it, it doesn't work. Right. I would say the biggest things that we had to change. So the, they had already started gutting it by the time we saw it. So everything mm -hmm. that made it look like a easy mark was out, which helped mm -hmm. us visualize it. We yeah. needed to build an office, which we knew we wanted to be small. Um, we needed an extra bathroom because at the time we would only have access to one bathroom. We were sharing a wall with a tenant. That's the red wall that you saw yep. um, in the original space. And we've expanded since then, which we can talk about. But we were given one bathroom. The other tenant had the other bathroom. So we asked to build a bathroom. And then the thing that we didn't see coming was that we didn't want to drop ceiling anymore. We wanted to blow out the drop ceiling. And then to do that, they have you spray paint with, 
I think, I think for fire reasons, like there's a flame resistant type of spray paint and you have to hide all the tubing and everything. That was probably the biggest expense. And same thing when we expanded into the new space out of anything we did, including flooring. Which yeah. gives you a sense of how bad it was. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we're still, we're actually still paying for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to this day. And so those are the things that, like, you know, as someone going into a space, you don't think of, right? Like, you didn't go in thinking, like, "Hey, I'm going to spend a, the largest chunk of money on, you know, on the ceiling. fire-resistant ceiling paint that I would have to put up here." Um, but that's kind of sometimes what it takes to get your foot in the door at the first place you're going to be into. Like, I think about. I mean, you haven't, you never probably saw the old space at MBSE before we were in the building we're in now. And it was very kind of similar to yours in that, like, as far as size goes, as far as kind of the type of building it was, it was not the industrial type of space that we have now. And I know there was a lot of work and continual work even when I was there to kind of make that work for us. Um, but if we hadn't, I don't, I think if we hadn't had that space for all those years, we wouldn't be where we are now. And so being able to be like, Hey, I can make it work in the space that I have. And then at some point take that next step where you're like, I'm either expand, move or, or grow, mm -hmm. grow from here. And I think that, again, I think a lot of people who want to open a gym have this idea that like, I want it to be this beautiful space right off the bat. And when I talked to PJ recently about Maxway, he's in his second location. Um, and I think they opened in, you know, 2019. And so he, he was in a space that he said, I went in there and I, I was tearing down walls. I was painting. I was, you know, doing all these things to think, how can I make this space work for me? Um, and then he was similar to you in that he kind of had a, a population that was um, already captivated by him locally. And he's like, well, they'll, they'll come and train here and then we can figure, <laughs> figure out after that and, and kind of pivot as you need to. So I think for people kind of listening um, as, you know, hopeful gym owners one day keeping that in mind that like you you can hopefully make the space work if you have a landlord who will work with you and you have a little bit of ingenuity and, and a little bit of uh want to put a little elbow grease in you can probably get there so um so you guys opened in uh 2021 correct yeah. and that kind of transition for you into facility owner to from you know training people out of your garage were there kind of certain things when you start to hire people, when you start to figure out how do I make this business run um, outside of just me, were there any kind of struggles for you or, or lessons for you in, in making that transition to kind of being the business owner from being the just one-on-one -on -one coach or group coach that you were previously? I'm probably still learning a lot of <laughs> lessons about it to this day. Yeah. Um, there are definitely a lot of considerations and I, I definitely don't think I took any of them lightly. I'm someone who overthinks everything before doing it. So I definitely had hyped myself up in advance that all of the nice things that I enjoy about being just a coach right now, a lot of those are going to change from the moment we start talking about magnitude because mm -hmm. it's not just me anymore. Like I, you know, I put back on my public relations hat, which is like, how do you create a cohesive voice and brand for a company when the company isn't just about you mm -hmm. anymore. So I think one of the biggest transitions, like one of the hardest things for me was almost taking like a step back and being like, there's some, there's something bigger than just like Jenny, the trainer now. Right. It's like when I'm posting on like my own personal 
Instagram, it's like, oh, stream of consciousness, I can say whatever I want. You go into the magnitude Instagram and I'm like, I can't say, I can't say whatever I want because, you know, there are clients who don't care about me anymore. Like they care about Alana or Sean or Kyle or Jim. And like what I say isn't the full word of the company. So I think, I think there's just, there's definitely a lot of transition, like putting on that different of the business owner. We, I joke with my team that whenever I'm doing business stuff, I'm wearing the mustache. So (laughs) when my mustache is off, I'm the trainer, I'm just the coach, but when the mustache is on, it's about business. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, it's hard because I think a lot of coaches, you know, build their business around their identity and in who they are. I know Mike even Mm -hmm. says like the biggest mistake they made was calling it Mike Boyle strength conditioning. And he's, he's trying to do the slow disappearing act uh, as Mm -hmm. we speak and he's doing a pretty good job of it. Um, But, you know, being able to build a brand that, you know, if you're not there, like you said, those people care about the coaches that work for you um, possibly, or they care about, you know, their experience at magnitude as opposed to uh, um, Jenny. And you're like so much of, being a trainer is your personality sometimes. And you're like, how do I separate my business from that? At some point, as you get older, you're kind of like, oh my God, that's the number one thing I want to do. But when you're younger, it's, you kind of are sucked into the idea of it, it being you being you until at that point becomes you're the bottleneck. Um, and so, you know, as for you, when you started like hiring people and bringing people in, that's kind of a daunting um, experience, right? You're like, Hey, one, I have to, I have this person that I need to train and develop to kind of fit our model. And then also the responsibility to be like, Hey, this person is going to depend on our business. And so did, when you hired, I mean, it was you and Allie, did you hire somebody mm-hmm. immediately off the bat or was it you guys just kind of working in there? And then eventually you kind of hit the point where you're like, we need to bring somebody else in. No, we had three coaches off the bat. That was what we knew. Cause Allie and I already knew that we were maxed out with the clients that we had. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, assuming that more people join us than what we, you know, her and I both had informal wait lists of people and things like that at our own, at our own houses. So we pretty much knew off the bat that we were going to need a couple people. And we knew that because we were training adults and kids, we would essentially need morning coaches and afternoon coaches. Mm-hmm. And in an ideal world, that's not the same person. We've wow. all been there working this the split shift and, mm-hmm. and you can make it work for a little while and we made it work for a little while. Um, but ideally you you know, you kinda have people who are, you know, all morning or all afternoon. So that's that's how we opened with three coaches. We were we decided to use the MBSC Thrive model, which has mm-hmm. helped us immensely with onboarding and training. So it's the online modules essentially that the coaches watch. And then we all would all go over it together as a team. So we're all cohesive on here's how we demo a goblet squat. Here's how we demo a deadlift. You know, all these things are all the same all the way across the board. We sent in video tests actually to Sean and Bruce. Yeah. They approved us as coaches. You're like, I'm surprised we were opening on November 8th, whether we got approved or not, but you know, made us, made us feel good that we passed the test. Uh, someone else, you know, someone else was able to say this looks good. So that was, that was immensely helpful in getting all of our staff up to the same page. And mm-hmm. then since then we've continued to use thrive for our training and then also use CFSC level one and level two for our coaches. Yeah. And I mean, this is from my perspective, the the hardest thing and the most valuable thing that we do is develop young coaches, like to the point where we've kind of turned into an education facility in addition to a training facility. But I, people kind of ask like for us, like what makes you successful in our business. And I mean, I've seen since I started like 
15 years ago, I've seen a ton of different coaches come and go. And, you know, sometimes I would think like, I remember when, you know, Nicole Rodriguez left or Jamie Rodriguez left or um, Anthony left or people who like when I started at MBSC were like kind of cornerstone coaches at the facility and thinking like, how are we going to recover from this? Right. And now I've been through it enough times that I've realized like the strength of our business and to be able to continue to be successful because employees will come and go. Ideally, you have them for a long period of time and there's not a lot of turnover, but especially in this business, people come and go. And I think for us, the strength of what's allowed our business to continue to be successful is a strong focus on staff development, education, and building kind of a environment of education like we have with our internship and our, our staff development process. And, and even still onboarding in, onto a full-time employee is difficult, but um, I think if there was one thing for us that would be successful, it would be that. And so for you guys, how have you kind of cultivated that environment in addition to Thrive and CFSC within your staff that, you know, you've had a chunk of those people since the beginning, right? And everyone seems kind of very much on the same page. What have you guys done to kind of do that, to enhance that, to continue to allow you guys to grow and, and, and honestly take a little bit off of your plate and allow them to kind of coach and, and coach within your business. Yeah, I think one of the most important things we've done is we really haven't compromised on a weekly team meeting. We are always meeting um, as a team. And for a long time, we did team workouts. In addition, we're going to start alternating kind of a team workout with a team meeting. But just having all of us in the same room at the same time every single week to talk about how things are going, what new clients have joined, what you know, what troubles are we having, we talk a lot about continuing education topics. We've been doing kind of a like a potluck where it's like each each coach each week is responsible for a different continuing ed topic, um, right. which brings new ideas to the table. We all get to discuss it. I think it helps us feel comfortable with each other, right? It's a good mm -hmm. way to get to know each other because so, a lot of us are operating in the building at the same time coaching. Like we have, you know, sometimes three or four groups going on at the same time at different points in the gym and the ability for the coaches to interact with each other and talk to each other and to each other's clients, like that trust comes from the time that we spend, you know, kind of off the training floor. So I think that's been super important. Yeah, I, I always kind of think back to the idea, like the, the idea of the team meeting is so important and something, you know, I talked to Mike about it and I talked to our staff about it was like, you know, our team meeting, making an environment where people can share their thoughts and then we can all agree to go and try this group experiment like sometimes it's hey are we going to try this exercise or you know do we want to change the program or rearrange the gym in this way and allowing everybody to say to provide their opinion right in providing a, a safe space so to speak for everyone to do that and then when we kind of have a consensus of the majority we go and try it and whether it goes positive or negatively we revisit that in a week or two or, and say okay how did that go and whether it was positive or negative, it makes everybody feel as though they were part of that decision-making process. So we have kind of a unified uh, sense of thought by everybody that thinks like, okay, this is our belief system and this is what we believe in. And so, I mean, I think a lot of our meetings are, I always say, rehashing a lot of the same things over and over, but maybe our responses change over time. Like I always joke that I've been in the same staff meeting 20 times. Um, but over time, based on the staff that we have, 
or kind of where the current thought process is in our industry, maybe our decisions change. And I've, that's kind of what's driven our program over time to change is because you're giving all those coaches that you have an opportunity to, to be a part of that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, um, I think you guys have like one thing that MBSC does really well is like fitness swings so much like a pendulum, like something is all the way in one day. And then the next day, it's the most horrible thing in the world for you. It's all the way out. And I think, and you probably have just done this by having the same staff meeting 20 times is you've kind of mastered this, like the truth is in the middle and we're going to move in degrees instead of moving just one whole sweeping change, mm -hmm. which I think is ultimately the, the better way of doing things. And so with, it's funny with you guys, like I've seen you guys grow really kind of quickly and be successful quickly. But I maybe for you, when you're in it, it, it doesn't seem as smooth to the people who are watching on the outside and I know it never does. Um, and, and so you guys, for those of you who don't know, recently expanded significantly. Uh, you took down a wall, you put in some turf, like, and, and I always kind of think about the idea that like you want to be bursting at the seams and then eventually say, okay, now it's time to kind of, you know, take on that extra lease or that, that extra rent that we're going to have to pay for you kind of what drove you to th think like, okay, it's time to do that. Were you, did you feel like, Hey, we are maxed out. We can no longer grow in this space and, and we're ready to kind of take this on. Or was it like, Hey, we're going to take a leap right now. So I know earlier I said that I overthink everything. I in high in hindsight, I underthought that. And not in a bad way. I'm happy that I'm happy that things happened the way that they did. So really what drove us to do it is we had the opportunity. The tenant behind us that we shared the wall with went out of business and our landlord came to came to us and said, Do you want this space? We had to say yes. Like there yeah. that opportunity to have like we were sharing a hallway with bathrooms with these people. Like we knew this was like, it just made so much more sense for us to have the full space. We were bursting at the seams in the summer when we combined our athletes and our adults at the same time, it was an ugly, <laughs> ugly couple of first weeks of June mm -hmm. um, when the summer hit. So that was definitely a time that we were like, okay, like we need more space. But throughout the year, honestly, like we had only been open. We opened November, 2021. They came to us probably November, 20, maybe even August of 2022 to say, do you want the space? It was going to be doubling our space. So we just jumped on it. We said, yes, we opened it by January of 2023. So it's been just about a year that we've been in that double space. I severely underestimated A, how much of a positive impact it would make on our flow like I knew it was going to be big, but when we, when everything was said and done, I was like, this is a, this is a different gym. Also from an operational and expense standpoint, it was a different gym. Yeah. <laughs> it, it feels like I ran, it, it almost feels like I ran a fake business for the first year. <laughs> and then, so it's like, so I had, I had the garage, my own garage gym, which was, yeah. I guess now in hindsight, a fake business. Then I opened what I thought was real magnitude. And now that I have double the space of magnitude, the first magnitude was actually fake. And now I'm, and I'm sure I'll think the same thing whenever the next thing happens. But, you know, we have had months this year where our expenses have been triple what they were mm -hmm. that same month of the, of the year prior. And yep. guess what we didn't do? Triple our revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's this is the first time that it's been like 
pressure, right? Like it's, it's, it's where it's been a little scary. Like if we have a month that we're not selling for a sports performance, right. And it's just like a little bit more of a lull because the way we sell for sports performance and you guys do the same thing is, is by season. Mm-hmm. So it comes in, in chunks. So there's certain months like July where, okay, we're not selling anymore for summer, but we're also not starting to sell again for fall in those months. Like it's starting to be like, okay, like how do we, how do we make this all work? So I'm glad I had the first tester year, Yeah, um, but yeah, things are, things are real now. Yeah, I mean, it changes how you look at your business and you look at the numbers on a you know week to week, month to month basis. And I know, I, I mean, I've talked to Steve about this. Is like when you have an athlete based business, the money does come in chunks, right? It's it's not like your adults that come year round. And that's what I always tell people is like the adults are the best thing for you because it's monthly EFT where they're just coming all the time. Where the kids are, it's like, hey, we sell hard. Uh, to get ready for like right now, like you were getting ready for post Thanksgiving, you know, that the winter session, they all sign up and then you're like, all right, we're going to go all the way through till spring when the heating bills are really high uh, <laughs> the middle of the winter. Um, and, and you're thinking, okay, you have to look at the kind of the, the year as a whole um, because there's going to be more swings. Like when you say when your expenses are higher, I mean, when we, for those you don't know, like when at who CMBSC now, when we first moved in, in 2010, we just had the middle space, the main gym space. We didn't have the turf room. We didn't have the bike room. And a similar type of thing happened where the, the tenant next door in about 2012 uh, into 2013, they, they moved out. And it was kind of like, hey, uh, do you want to rent this space that will essentially, you know, double your footprint um, as it is? And prior to that, we actually already gone into the bike room on the other side and started to kind of sublet some of that space. And so it's kind of like that moment, like, okay, do we think that we're on a projection revenue wise and, and kind of, um, in our impact in the local community to be able to, you know, if we're going to take on this, this extra revenue to be able to fill that. And, and it was very similar kind of in the jump that we made and, and there it's, that extra space isn't cheap. The extra heating isn't cheap. The extra air conditioning is cheap. People forget those things. But the I think the other side of that is it forces you as a business owner to kind of grow a little bit and think, okay, how do I pay a little bit more attention to the numbers and the managing of the revenue and the managing of the bills to to make sure that this space fits so you can kind of grow, not just grow your business into it, but kind of grow your thought process into it as well. Yeah. You make better decisions when you have to. I I hear some, like I've listened to so many podcasts, people talk about how they manage their business through COVID and so many people, like the people who survived, right. Whose businesses survived. They say like that forced us to change so many things for the better Mm -hmm. because we had to. Yeah. It's the the same thing. The thing I, I said to a lot of people in COVID is COVID exposed pre-existing conditions, both from a physical standpoint and from a business standpoint, right? I think businesses that probably were not as sound as people thought they were when it hit, um, those things got exposed for better or worse. I mean, it's it's terrible. Um, And whereas other ones where people were able to pivot and were forced to make decisions or were kind of in a, a good place. I know Bob, I always thank every day, like we used to, you know, joke about, Bob being so tight with the books and tight with the money, like for years, um, was really a big reason that we got through it. Um, because he had kind of managed the business financially in a way that allowed us to to do that. And so that's something that when he stepped down last year, 
that he's kind of passed on. I know Steve Bigelow has picked up that um, same mindset uh, pretty well um, from learning under Bob for kind of the year and in, in the process of that transition. So um, it, it, you, you, you never know what's going to come around the corner, so to speak. So it, it's an important mm-hmm. thing to think about. Um, and so now with you guys kind of expanding into this new space, I know you put down turf outside, you expanded, they took down that wall. Um, now you guys even have, uh, kind of a accompanying offering downstairs with wellness in motion moved in as well. So you guys kind of have this, you know, one stop shop almost in your community now that that was not there. I mean, I've been on the South shore. My parents don't live far from you, as you know. There's not a, a lot of similar kind of offerings that, that what you guys deliver. And so I know you said, you know, you guys just kind of put out an offering to get people in. What has kind of helped you guys continue to penetrate and get to the next level in your community locally? Because I think the hardest thing sometimes is you have your kind of raving fans, your early adopters, people who have believed in you um, in kind of the local community, but it's like, how do you penetrate to the next level? What have you guys been doing now that you kind of have that added pressure to, to continue to build the business in the space that you've built? Yeah, we're continuing to try new things. I think one thing that I did not give enough credit for at the beginning was the way our location is that we have street facing property. Mm -hmm. So obviously we're a very much a word of mouth business. Like the number one way we get people in is by current clients that we have referring people but I would say right now, the number two way we get people in is they say, I drive past this every single day and I see your sign. So I think when Allie and I were looking for locations, we were looking for that industrial park. Like, you know, we had MBSC in mind, like where yeah. that's yeah. okay to be in the back, like in the back of a building where no one can see us. That's fine. People will come. It has been really the unsung hero of our business that you can see us when you drive down Route 53. Yeah. Um, so that alone like really can't be understated i have like you know our sandwich board sign outside saying everything that we do and uh that alone brings in a lot of people um i think what we're finding for the kids is that our younger kids are filling in really well like our fourth through sixth graders they like to come in like like, you know little groups of their friends and things like that so that business that side of our business has really grown but high schoolers we really have to go to them to get them so we've been trying to do a lot more team activities like we were just at um hangham high school yesterday doing a recovery session for their soccer team the girls soccer team made the playoffs they're playing on sunday so we did said hey we'll come we'll do you know foam rolling stretching that sort of thing with them so i think trying to get in with the teams as far as high school goes um is hopefully gonna pay off for us and then for adult we're experimenting with some things. We've experimented with some like paid ads. We do some sponsorships, like local sponsorships and stuff, um, but really trying to solidify a referral program. We did like a t-shirt referral program and we're working on a refer and receive one that will hopefully be launching soon. Um, those are kind of the next the next things that we're working on. But I think when you first open your business, it's, it's in this, this is what people tell me. I've still, I've still only just opened my business, right? So everyone's telling you like when you're new and hot, people just come to you, yep. but eventually you're going to have to go to the people. So I'm trying to balance enjoying where we're at now, yep. you know, enjoying being kind of like the new kid in town a little bit, but also laying the inroads for the future of, okay, we're going to need to have this pipeline and it's going to be better if I've already built the pipeline in advance. So that, that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah. Well, I, I always think about the, the acronym um, I heard from Alan and Rachel Cos- Cosgrove, the gift acronym get in front Mm -hmm. of them 
Um, and so you talk about like going to schools and, and, and providing something to them without, you know, expressly asking for something in return. And so over time, they're going to just think that, oh, well, the people of magnitude, right? If I, if I have a kid who's injured or I want to improve my performance or I want to feel better or I want to get a little stronger, those are the people they go to. But it's because you kind of made those inroads by saying, hey, I'm going to go and do this recovery session for the team. I'm going to reach out to the ADs or the coaches or, you know, the local club teams and things like that to, to do that. And those are the things that I think a lot of coaches think like, oh, man, this is hard to do or it's a pain to do. But I would say, like, we've gotten so many <laughs> clients and kids and connections from from taking the time to go and do those things that sometimes take a little bit more legwork and are a little bit harder to mm -hmm. do, but it's, it's how those people are going to find who you are. And, you know, like it, it's all good within that kind of those people who are the early adopters, or like you said, they're like, you're the hot kid in town where they're like, Oh, I, I want to be with them. Um, but that next level kind of takes that, that extra bit of work um, to kind of put you over the top in within your mm -hmm. community. And I understand like it's easier said than done. And I think when we first, so anyone who just opened recently or is like, you know, on the training floor all the time, yeah. I definitely understand what it feels like to be like, I literally can't do that. No. Like I remember there being, I remember there being a job fair at UMass Boston that I really wanted to go to like a career fair for, to try to get interns and stuff because we desperately needed people to work for us. Yeah. Like, but because we desperately needed people to work for us, we I couldn't freaking go to the career fair. And I was like, this is, how do I, how am I going to do this? Yeah. I, ended up just, I ended up just canceling my groups for the day. I had to reschedule everyone. I, that was like, you know, that was what we had to do. So I definitely understand that going to a team, like that's a, like a resource suck, right? Like, yeah. but as soon as you can do it, as soon as you can make it feasible, it ends up paying off. So I, so yeah. I get it. And I, I get the eye roll if you're listening and you're in the oh. trenches right now. <laughs> yeah, but it, then it speaks to like the exponential impact you can have from hiring somebody. Like you go to that job fair or you go and do that thing and you bring somebody in. Now, if you train them well and you believe in them, they can do that or they can coach the group mm -hmm. and then you can go to that. And so it's, I always, I always, it's funny. I reread E-Myth all the time um, because I constantly find myself being a bottleneck in a different part of the business. And so like, whether it was the trainer before or the marketing person before or whatever iteration of myself in whatever part of the, our businesses that we're in, I'm always like, I got a reread myth. And if at any point I feel like I'm the woman making the pies and cleaning the floor and doing the accounting, that's the example in the book where she owns a bakery and then thinking like, okay, what can I do to change that feeling? And it's always like, all right, let me educate and train in someone else who I believe in. And that is a resource suck. It's hard. It's a thing to do. But ultimately, when you get to the other side, you're like, oh, I'm so glad I did it. But it's, you're like, if you're the type of person, at least like me, you're like, well, I'll take care of it. Right. And then ultimately, you're like, well, that's not the good long term uh, yeah. to do that. So um, I mean, that's, that's the hardest part of being a business owner. And so with, with you guys, so now you're heading into, you know, the winter season. Um, you're gonna have a bunch of new athletes coming in and you're kind of making the, the transition from, from fall to winter. You have your year round adults and have you, um, with you guys, like I know for us, we weren't originally an adult training. I hear the dogs. Uh, we weren't really an adult training business. 
Um, and now that for us, that's really become a huge part of our business, the, the majority of our business, so to speak. And I, I, at least since I've been there, I've seen that change. And so for you, do you, are you guys find yourself to be more, when you look at your revenue or your, the, the people coming to see you more of an adult general population driven business or athletes, or are you kind of split down the middle? We're pretty split down the middle. When we first opened, we were skewed sports performance on like sheer numbers and also honestly in terms of revenue our initial because we opened with founding member pricing for adults but went straight into our regular pricing for sports performance from a revenue standpoint we were definitely more heavily skewed sports performance but now that we've evened out with our adult pricing and we're into a regular structure that's that's closer to our sports performance um, payments we are definitely more 50 50 and like edging 55 45 towards adult um, just because of the recurring, the recurring mm-hmm. nature of it. No, and that's that's another thing. When I talk to you know people who are heavy in sports performance, I tell you, I would say consider, you know, bringing in some adult groups or personal training as something as consistent revenue uh, year round. I think some people have this idea where they want to be just an athlete based business, but in reality, it's seasonal. The general population people will be there year round and they kind of be the, are the people that kind of give you that consistent revenue throughout the year. And so, you know, we do have one exception with our adult. I say that they're consistent in year round. The summer people here flee for the summer. And that is that's really tough. And we've been lucky that for our sports performance, the summer is the busiest yep. time. So right when that ramps up, we know like we had. When we like the first year we opened, right? We had a hundred adult clients. We dropped down from halfway through June. We dropped from a hundred to eighty-three mm-hmm. in one billing period. Yep. I was, this is the saddest thing I've ever experienced, and yeah. and it was pretty much the same this summer. We have a you know we, now we have more adult members, but still like the ratio of people that went on on freeze for the full summer, like from basically yep. like June fifteenth until September tenth. It, it's high and that's tough. Yeah. I think some, at, at least in the area where we live, I know, you know, that, that your population, the type of people who will be able and willing to pay for training are also people who are willing and able to take a vacation over the summer. And so that's a trade-off you make, but with the sports performance business, like you said, at least you can see, like, I know it's the same for you is that our sports performance population balloons over the mm-hmm. summer. And, you know, with that, the adults who do stick around, get are kind of like wow this place is nuts all summer and it's almost kind of good that some of them go as long as they come back and mm-hmm. and uh it, it it is kind of this this shift that you get june through, through august i know that we kind of experience that as well where you know people disappear if not for the whole summer at least for a few weeks at a time um mm-hmm. but you know with the ebbs and the flows of the business kind of kind of what comes with it yep um I know I, I remember this, you guys bringing Mike down there. Mike came and did a, a kind of a tour and you took him through the business. And um, I'm curious to know kind of like, because I went there at that iteration of, of your facility, um, you know, taking him through there, was there specific advice or feedback that he gave to you guys as far as like, you know, the space, how you run the groups, how you run the business and and how did you kind of take that or did it did it change your decision making anywhere? Did it not? So 
Allie and I are are similar in the sense that we're both we're both nerds. We're both academics. So yeah. I went to Bates. She went to UPenn. We have probably watched Mike speak not as much as you, obviously, because it's been it's been you have a lot more years on yeah. when I've been watching Mike Boyle talks. But between going in person, watching the staff meetings, I think her and I have done a good job at like thinking how Mike thinks. So a lot of what like when he came to visit you know he would start to say something we're like oh yeah yeah we tried that oh yeah we well, at one point at one point we had this year we did a lot we're also we're also two women owning a business we did a lot of furniture moving like we did a lot of a lot of putting things in different places and seeing like okay you know what actually after a day i hate this here um you know and we we still do it all the time we just moved our kettlebells across the room which sounds so trivial but has actually made no. a huge difference in in programming it it made so much more sense uh, once we once we switched the location of them so um i think he was a good sounding board to have for a lot of the things where we're like are we crazy because we tried it this way and it didn't work at all and he's like no that makes sense because you know what we found when we did pods this way so it definitely was a good it was a good gut check that we had things going in the right direction there's also only so many configurations you can really have in a space that's 5,000 square feet and you know some yeah. of that's taken up by bathrooms and hallways in the office um, and because our turf runs down the middle yep. of the space that also changes what we're able to do with it I wish that we had a full rectangle where the turf could run down like the end mm -hmm. half of the building but unfortunately it, it splits right down the middle so if we want to be able to do flying tens kids are doing that smack in the middle of the gym yeah yeah well, it's funny you talk about that. Like I know Mike mentioned this at the Thrive Summit. We moved the all the power block dumbbells last week, um, mm -hmm. and you talk about like being willing to move equipment. Um, by its nature, gym equipment is not light. Um, so, but if it allows you to better perform and deliver the program you believe in, I always talk to gym owners. I I did a kind of consulting certification gig at a group fitness place two weeks ago, and I talk to them a lot about that because they run these kind of group classes. And I said, you need to be able to look at the program you want to deliver and say, I'm willing to move this rack. I'm willing to move the kettlebells. I'm willing to potentially even move the turf around. Like we've done that. We've ripped up turf, put turf back down. We moved all the power blocks and, and benches last week. We've moved the racks multiple times to be able to deliver what you want. Um, and like you said, you might be limited in the space that you have to do it, but think, Hey, that little tweak can allow us to better deliver our program for us. We were like, we felt the first block in our adult program was, we were just limited because we were on the platforms. The adults aren't using Olympic bars. And so we're like, we have kettlebells here. We have really kettlebells here. And then, you know, what else are we going to do? So we moved all the power block dumbbells up just to give us more options and to provide some variety for them and being willing to be like, all right, I'm going to move everything. I move the racks, the squat racks in that gym more times than I can count because Mike was like, hey, I feel like we should move this way. Um, and so, but that really is the magic and what makes the, the program work is you, your belief in the program. Be like, I'm willing to shift things around to better accommodate the clients that we have. Right. And we've done a mix to Allie's credit. She's the one who manages the programming. We've done a mix of changing the program to yep. fit the space and changing the space to fit the program. So I think it's just a matter of knowing or, or trial by error of when you have to do which I think for the summer, we really found that we needed to change the programming to fit the space because that's when we have the combination of adults and kids. So there was a lot 
that needed to be done like in a certain like you know the kids need the racks but to your point like the olympic lifting stations the adults don't need those so it's like okay how can we keep the kids over by there as much as possible and then keep the adults in the center as much as possible um just so that they're they're not overlapping with each other and that changed the programming you know it, it made yep. it difficult for adults to get to the chin-up bars for the summer so yep. guess what we didn't do chin-ups in the summer but hey we got x pull downs and it works <laughs> it's exact i mean but that's the exact decision making i would say like your everyone could write like the ideal program but at the end of the day the logistics of your facility and the people in it are ultimately what make the decisions and in, in what you're going to program right people always say like oh here's the great program i'm like okay well not in my facility it's it's not just because of access to equipment we've had the same chin up type of mm -hmm. issue like hey you're going to bench press if the kids are bench pressing this day, the adults aren't chin doing chin-ups that day. I'm not moving all the, the the benches in and out and adjusting the racks. And so those things really dictate your programming once you own a facility much more um, than anything else. Yeah. And it makes timing like absolutely crucial. And then mm -hmm. in the summer, it's that whole, you know, orchestration of, okay, when you're athlete group is going to be here our adult group is going to be here and then even simple like very simple things like okay now both of them are using dumbbells at the same time and we ran out of dumbbells like yeah. you it's you literally have to think of every it's not just space it's not just oh you're in a squat rack and i need to be in the squat rack it's like oh you need the 40s because you're doing rfes <laughs> yeah but i need the 40s because i have a guy in my class doing an overhead show, like press you know and yeah but it, it might have worked fine if there were older women in the class because they yep. would have needed the twenties when the kids reason it's, it's something as simple as that, that can throw off the whole rest of the, the whole rest of the program that day. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, I love hearing, I love these conversations because it, it speaks to, you know, people who actually run a business and have to think about those ins and outs um, on a daily basis. Cause those are really the problems that you run into. Um, and those are the types of things that dominate our staff meeting discussions all the time. <laughs> um, and so, now, for you guys kind of in this new space and, and growing, like, I think a lot of people talk about a five-year plan, a three-year plan, whatever, whatever your distance of a plan is for you, like, where do you see, do you see yourself having time to grow into this new space? What is kind of your thought process kind of going into 2024 in, in how to continue to grow your business? Like you talked about some of the marketing things and, and, you know, where you want to go next but for you in in you know jenny's mind what what do you kind of envision yeah I, I i sometimes don't allow myself to look too far into the future i just try to do the like keep doing the next right thing yep. has really been what's what's driven me um that being said from a business perspective you kind of need to know where you're going so i do think when we expanded that was the first time that was the first time since we got out of our garages that we really felt okay like now we have room to grow because even like pretty much right from when we opened magnitude with the 2,500 square feet, we were, we were pushing capacity. And from a revenue perspective, we were com like completely fine and comfortable. Yep. So doubling the space was the first time that we were able to kind of step back and say, okay, like we have now we have some time here for sure. We also, we also re-signed the lease and, and bumped it up. So we're on a, you know, now we're on a five-year lease. So that changed some things too. Prior to that, we were on a three-year. Mm -hmm. um, so for this space, that definitely changes things. So yeah, I think right now we have had pretty comfortable organic growth with our sports performance. And we've had just a little bit slower growth with the adults. So our plan is to, you know, continue to try to push that adult. Like I mentioned to you before we started this, we're, you know, starting a new trial offer with adults and just trying to get creative there. I think that the reality is 
there's so much competition in the adult workout space. Like on our street alone, that magnitude is on. There's like six gyms, another one just announced that they're opening. Like wow. we're like in a in a one minute drive. We're directly across the street from another from an athletic club that's been open for mm-hmm. decades. So and I think from a sports performance perspective, there's other people doing it, um, but definitely not as many. The competition isn't quite as as steep. Um, so that's definitely one space that we see ourselves able to grow in. And then the outdoor turf was a good add. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that will, you know, now that we know that we have that for the whole next spring, summer, fall, basically, um, we'll be looking to hopefully get some more programs in there. And then we continue to love to go out into the community. We love, go, we have Union Point fields um, in Weymouth. Um, that we'll go to and we've done some speed trainings for local clubs and things like that Um, so I definitely think that's that's something we want to continue doing and and do more of as we can awesome no I mean I I love having conversations with people like you because it's a real conversation about what it's like to run a business and and own a gym and try to you know continue to grow it Um, and I think that you know people listening to this can you know, gleam a lot of insight, whether it said, Hey, I jumped into a small space that we were comfortable in to begin with, or, you know, I developed kind of a connection to the community before and kind of the ins and outs of expanding all of those things are really good things for people to take away. So I, I appreciate, you know, having the conversation with you, um, kind of covering all of those points. Um, and before we finish up, I'll put you on the spot. Um, one thing I do consistently, um, and Brendan and I had done for a long time was just do a book recommendation at the end of the day, I'll start. So you have some time. Um, mm-hmm. and so, um, we always say like, what is a book you would recommend? It doesn't have to be training based. It doesn't even have to be business based. I just like to be able to put a book recommendation at the end, um, for the people that, um, are, are listening. And so, um, I have a book right here is actually one I just, uh, lend it to my father and then he gave it back to me when he was here last time. Um, and this one is called how to fail at almost everything and still win big, uh, by Scott Adams. And so Scott Adams is the guy who made the Dilbert comics. Um, but it kind of talks about his entire career and thinking about building that as a business and literally making a million mistakes, um, along the way and still being successful in spite of that. Um, and so for me, as I remember reading this, um, he kind of went from a corporate career to kind of jumping out and starting his own thing and kind of reading this and feeling more confident that like, oh, other people have made these mistakes too, or like not understanding necessarily the ins and outs of growing a business and still going about something that you're passionate about and care about. And that was a really kind of um, I was a very quick read for me. I don't typically always enjoy business books and this, I don't know if it's a business book as much of a life book, but this is one that I would definitely recommend, um, for those who are inspiring business owners. And I kind of thought of this, especially given, you know, who you are and what you're doing. Um, I thought, okay, that's probably a good fit. My dad had just literally given it back to me about two weeks ago. So, um, that would be my recommendation. So I don't know if you have one off the top of your head, but if you do, I'd love to hear it. I'm going to go non-conventional. It's not going to be a book, but the one thing that I want everyone to read, it's going to be an easy read. It's a long form article from the New York times. It's called the busy trap. Um, it is, I wish I knew the author off the top of my head. I read it like at least once a, once a year, but the idea behind it is that as a culture, we've 
fallen into the trap of like, how are you doing? Busy. I'm so busy. Like, yeah. oh, after next week, things will slow down. Right. And kind of wearing that as a badge of honor. And this guy offers kind of a different perspective on busyness and how we can internalize it in a different way and maybe maybe kind of think think again on that topic and if that's the best thing for us i'll link to it in the show notes so um everyone listening can uh can read that thank you for the recommendation i will read it as well mm-hmm. sounds good awesome well jenny i appreciate you taking the time um this uh was a great conversation again kind of i think really good for people who want to make the jump and kind of do what you are doing right now Um, a lot of great kind of insights from somebody who's in the middle of it right now so i i appreciate you taking the time it's a great conversation and talk to you soon sounds good i'll see you the next time you're on the south shore hopefully yeah thank you very much i would definitely be have a good night Bye. bye